Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to another episode of The Nature Photographer podcast. We have Jason Loftus, Ron Hayes, and Mark Raycroft joining us tonight from the Wild and Exposed team, and I am Dawn Wilson representing NAMPA. So we're going to get into talking a little bit about what we've been doing this year and what we're expecting next year, both from NAMPA and the guys at Wild and Exposed. It's been kind of a crazy year. It's a little bit of a transition year after uh, what was a very unexpected 2020 because of COVID. I think 2021 has still proven to have some challenges to it, but it's getting better. And we certainly hope that 2022 is going to be full of lots of great opportunities for all of us. So what have you guys been up to? What do you think has been kind of your best thing this year? The Your most impactful, your most memorable experience over the course of this year? Jason, go ahead. You had a big 2021 <laughs> yeah i could say it's when i caught covid up in kodiak alaska but that's that would be a lie um <laughs> it was it was an experience that's for sure it was pretty impactful that's for sure um but my my most impactful and favorite experience i had this last year had to have been my second trip for the elk rut where i went back and just had one of my most amazing mornings i've ever had uh it's hard to beat. I know, Don, you're, you're just killing your me getting, with this. Getting mad at me yet again, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I actually I mean, saw Jason that morning and I had missed it by what, half an hour maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Just, you were telling me about all these great things you were seeing, how it was the best day you had seen in any of your elk rut experiences. And you've just been posting these amazing photos and video from it and just reliving it all over you know what the right. you know what the good thing is though don what's that you like everyone else can go and experience that morning that jason had on the wild and exposed youtube channel <laughs> wild and exposed podcast youtube channel as well as listen to the podcast that uh that jason and kelly did kind of recounting that morning yeah that it was everybody's jealous of that one oh, yeah <laughs> I mean, I saw the very tail end of it, and I was, I don't know, probably about two miles from where you were actually watching it, and I could hear the elk, and I was out there with somebody, and we were just like, it was, it sounded like it was like 30 elk just bugling away. It was crazy that morning. Yeah, yeah, and please do go check it out, because it's worth watching. We have some really cool video clips and pictures in that podcast on the YouTube channel, um, and if you can't watch it, go listen, because there's, it's a pretty neat story, just in general, how it all unfolded, but yeah, I mean... Don, from fights to, you know, uh, uh, mating to backlit bugle breath to, you know, come out of the shadows, fall colors, quakes. I mean, you just name it. It just was all there. And it's just, yeah, one of the most amazing mornings I've ever had in the elk woods. So, yeah, that, that would be the one for me, for sure. And that's kind of what the elk rut's all about. It's, you know, you want these special moments where you get the, that cold morning where there's, you know, high humidity and see the breath and you have the right light and you have a little bit of fog, you have fall colors. And we just haven't had a lot of that this year. It's been a really warm year. We just had our first snowfall of the season in town uh, the last couple of days. It's just been an unusual season, but 
yeah, you happen to catch that great morning and that's what makes those, those opportunities so memorable. And I'm glad you got it because it does, it, those are wonderful experiences to, to witness yeah. that. No, there's nothing wrong. We all can be jealous of each other and happy for each other. It happens all the time. <laughs> oh, that is true. That's what it, nature's all about. Yep. Changes yep. every day and it, something's always happening and somebody's going to be out there to capture the amazing stuff. And then there's plenty of days where you just don't see much at all. And that happens a lot too. What about you, Ron? Well, my favorite experience is one that I cannot um, talk about very much because contractually I have to wait until it airs, but spending time with uh, Tim Lehman on a project for the BBC um, in in Wyoming, even got to be in my home state to do this project. I think that was far and away the best experience that I've had this year uh, with, you know, as far as wildlife is concerned. My The favorite one that I can talk about, however, is uh, a trip that Jason and I were on with, with several other photographers um, in Yellowstone in the winter and we just had it, it was just a great trip all the way around got to see some wolves got to see some wolf uh, mating activity and get them on film in addition though we we saw a uh, pine martin hunting a squirrel and it went on for, I, I don't even know how long. It was going on before we got there, of course, and then continued for probably 20 minutes after we got there until that squirrel just wore the pine martin out. But to see that unfold and to kind of maybe superimpose my own thoughts, but I'm pretty sure that squirrel was intentionally taunting the pine martin, getting it back up on the tree, and then just running him around the tree until he got so tired he'd fall off for a little bit. And then he'd go back and do it again and finally just trotted off and, you know, took the, the trot of shame back into the snowbank and, and took a little nap. That was probably my favorite thing. And then I got, you know, I got my favorite shot of the year on that trip as well. Um, a shot that I had in my head or have had in my head for a long time. I don't have a lot of bison images just because I don't. I, I guess it's hard. It's kind of like photographing a pronghorn it's hard to find an image that just really makes that emotional connection with people. And uh, I had a bison coming down the road and, and it was between trees. So there was a little bit of separation between the trees. And then I kind of uh, high keyed it and, you know, I had the, the black and white image in my mind and, and that's kind of what I did with it. And that very quickly paid for that whole excursion uh, as as people really connected with it and still just got a couple more orders for prints um, this week for that image and so it, it definitely was one for the books and one that I uh, I'll be thankful for for a long time even though I did get stuck in two snow banks on oh that trip. man I was going <laughs> to mention that beat me to it <laughs> You know, it's funny as that was my second favorite one. I was actually thinking of that one. So I've had a pretty good year. So, <laughs> you know, and I think it's your yeah. image that's hanging up behind you, isn't it? Not that we're it doing is. video, yeah. but it's. I forgot. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that it was back there. But yes, that's yeah. the one. What about you, Mark? Well, I have to say that I've been enjoying the world of podcasting and, and just wanted to give a quick thank you and shout out to the guests of both 
the Nampa podcast and Wild and Exposed, and we've met some extraordinary people and heard many stories that are phenomenal. Ron's word. Um, so, so grateful for some of those friendships that have developed through the podcast and encourage listeners to go and dive into the Nampa and Wild and Exposed podcasts over the past year or so, because there are many that are worth listening to at least once. As far as my experiences, I'm grateful that things seem to be, well, have been easing up and travels once again possible. And I've been home for two days and I'm definitely in the culture shock mode. You can hear my cat. No, it's not my cat, but <laughs> no, it's all right. I don't know how you keep a cougar in the house like that. But anyway, so I've been back for two days and just trying to be a little more grounded in, in the busier world of modern life because I was away for six weeks in the wilderness and in different locations. And the past month, I had an extended trip. I was only going for three weeks to Newfoundland, Canada on this particular trip. But the third week's weather was quite variable and rainy and windy. And, and the following week looked fantastic. So we extended a week and no regrets. My highlight is fresh in my mind as far as 2021 wildlife photography experiences. It was the third, third last day of the trip and started out as one of those days where, as we all know, we have days where nothing happens or even when the weather is fantastic and the light is mind blowing, there may not be a, an animal to put in, in this situation that's life as a wildlife photographer. But there are also those days when it just seems like multiple chips fall into place. And at the end of the day, you can't help but just sit down and, and watch the sunset kind of thing and, and be extremely grateful for the experiences. And this thankfully was one of those days, the final two days were quiet in comparison. But on the third last day, we start we started this trip every day an hour before sunrise because where we were it's open country in this area of newfoundland and so we could have the opportunity for silhouettes and i'm a sucker for silhouettes i love just something artistic and and the contrast of, of underexposing the situation to oversaturate the sky these brilliant red skies and then in this case it started with moose there were five moose along the shoreline that I was able to silhouette, but not just against the shoreline, but to pan back and get the far off rolling hills above with these uh, gradients of color above the moose on the water. So started with that and then almost immediately, and this was a, a total surprise on this trip because I had seen two foxes, but neither of them were tolerant at all. They were just a blur the kind of thing where it's like, did that just happen or not? It just uh, one was a red fox and one was a cross fox, which is a black and red version of a uh, morph, color morph of the red fox. Well, on this, this morning, the moose were along the shore and then in the shadows, still pre-dawn, was this cross fox and just brilliantly colored with red and black throughout, healthy and just working its way along where we were and wasn't spooked by us. And so it was just fingers crossed, almost holding my breath or our breath, Pilly and mine, that 
it would stick around long enough that the light would increase, that we could capture images of it that would be worth keeping. And it did. It stayed for about half an hour within photographic range most of the time. So we were able to collect some images of that, which, again, there's such a striking animal, um, truly one of a kind in North America to see cross fox like that. Then we went for caribou and we didn't know where they were. And this band of caribou that we were spending time with on this portion of the trip could roam uh, several miles a day or overnight. And we had no visible, no visuals of them that morning. So that we split up and went in two different directions. And so she dropped me off at this, at one end and then she went to another area and was, we were about five, five kilometers or three miles apart. And we we're just going to work toward one another in, in hopes that we could find them while the light was still good. And I had gone and, and there was thankfully cell coverage and that's how we could communicate. So I had gone half the distance almost. And I get this call that she had found them, which was fine. That's great. So I, I kept going, but what happened was there was this picture that we had dreamt of happening where caribou swimming it's, it's, I mean, the caribou swim and cross rivers all the time. They're, they're fantastic swimmers. It happens, but to be there when it happens, to get the kind of image where you have a, a, be a beautiful mature stag or bull with his antlers swimming in, in well-lit blue water with other animals with them, other caribou, to me, it's never happened. It's been on my bucket list for my whole career. And I've seen a few other photographers accomplish this and, and have always uh, greatly admired those images. Well, when Pilly called me, they were apparently heading toward this body of water and quite close to it. And I was still a long ways off. So at this point, it was kind of a anxious panic moment as a wildlife photographer. It's like, this could be happening and I wouldn't be there. We have a new game plan, Pilly and I now. We have different cameras, and I had them all in my pack, which was wrong because she had done a lot of great photography on this trip. Next time, we're each going to have this pack. So I'm hurrying along with the camera gear, and I'm rounding this this barren um, hill. No, no trees around. I can see a long way. And here's this ptarmigan 10 feet from me in mid-molt against the ocean, and, and beautiful light. So I'm, I can't walk past this little dude or dudette. And so I spent 10 minutes photographing and filming the ptarmigan and hoping and praying that the caribou weren't moving. And so then I pressed on and I had about another mile to go to where the caribou were. And I got to this high vantage point where I should be able to see them and there was nothing in sight. And I know at this point I had no cell signal. And so I couldn't see the caribou, I couldn't see Pilly, and I knew beyond where I could see was the body of water that they were going to cross. So again, just go, go, go. I think my shoulders are still feeling it from that pack day. And I got to the point where I had a visual of two caribou, maybe 500 yards off on a knoll, and they turned around and went away from me again toward the water. So I hurried along, and it's one of those situations where I've had other times in the wild where I've had to move quickly for a long distance and kind of the lungs on fire. Um, but it's, I mean, just breathe deeply and get through it because I, I couldn't bear the thought of missing this swimming image if it happened or video.
anyway, I caught up. Good fortune was on, on my side that day. I caught up with the caribou, got past them because the light was on the other side. And within probably six or seven minutes of my arrival, they went into the water. And we, we missed we missed the entry point. This was the other thing. There were, there were different paths down. The shoreline was not friendly. And we missed the path. I don't know how that they went down. We went another 200 yards further down. And like, oh, this is it. Here's the path. And we hiked down, you know, 40 yards down this embankment. And I look up to where that we expect them to come. And they're already in the water and swimming all these little heads. So I was able to move down shore and zoom in. Anyway, long story made short at this point. Uh, it just, just to see that and to have in that group, there were 15 or 16 caribou all swimming in a straight line, one behind the other. And the water was a brilliant blue and the animals were illuminated. And I was able to get the whole group. And then with the two to 500, I was using Nikon that morning. This is a whole other conversation topic we could talk about. Because everybody on the Wild Exposed podcast know that I've been dabbling, and I do have an R5 now. And that's, again, we'll, we can get into that at another point. So I had the 2 to 500. I could zoom in and get the stag at the tail end, and, and everything lined up. He was, the, he was the last animal, too, which was kind of cool. Like he was following or herding the harem with all the females. There were some calves and a couple of younger stags or bulls as well. But I was able to zoom in, and what was interesting was... The water wasn't calm, but it wasn't overly rough, but it would undulate so that I had to time it or tried to time it where the animal, the, the caribou's back was visible or when it wasn't. And it was far enough away I couldn't just do his, his head. So I tried to time it. It was interesting. It was like every third or fourth image, you could see his whole back as well as his head. The same with the other animals. So that was... Uh, yeah, it was only a few days ago, very fresh in my mind. That's why it was a lengthy story. I could tell more of it, but it, it, yeah, that, that that experience to be able to capture that behavior in that quality of light, has it made my year. Yeah, it's those special moments where you just, like you said, it took you so long to get something like that. If it takes you years and you see other people that get it, so you know it happens, and it's just a matter of having all the all the elements come together. Being there for a month, I had one other opportunity where I had caribou swimming. And this group, I was able to have swimming straight at me, a different stag and a different uh, harem of, of females. But it was a cloudy day. So it was really cool to have them coming straight at the lens as a group. But as you know, all the photographers and everybody's listening through Nampa, a cloudy day, water is gray and it's flat. I was still ecstatic to get the behavior, but it doesn't light a candle to the blue, the bright blue in the sunlit water. So, yeah, just the rarity of it. And and it was more the timing and the be on the right side of the light, et cetera, et cetera, for that situation. That bull has been good to you. Well, there were a few this year. It was, we, we covered different areas mm -hmm. and we, being there for a month, we were able to, to explore a lot more and yeah it's it was a fantastic year we've we've got some there weren't we've got three really three really dynamic uh bulls on this trip and then the but just the behavior of the youngsters and the calves and the and the friskiness of the females when just observing it for a long period of time was a real privilege because i was able to 
watch as certain females were coming into heat and their behavior would slowly change and they'd be instead of they'd be part of the harem but ignore the the, the main bull and just bed around or fall around but they would get friendlier and friendlier and affectionate with him. They'd rub up against him or poke him with their antlers, or they'd spar with their, their small antlers against his. And he was always, of course, gentle with them, but it was funny. There'd be sometimes two of them, and they'd they'd spar or they'd be friendly with him on either side, rubbing up against him, their bodies or putting their head on his back, um, even, even, even as friendly as climbing onto his back saying, hey, it's time, you know. So just watching all of that unfold and the dynamics of the herd was, um, yeah, it's where my heart's at and just learning and observing that behavior, behaviors throughout the, that whole season. It's seeing those elements. It's seeing what makes, you know, the difference between, you know, seeing the, the behavior, but not having the right light or not being in the right position and then saying, all right, well, I, this is how I can make it a better photo by having the blue water instead of gray water or having the light on the right side or being in the right direction to photograph the animals. And, you know, it's thinking about those things too. And the good fortune of time. I mean, it's to be able to spend weeks in an area uh, or in areas focusing on certain um, targets of a project really helps because you know there will be days where nothing happens but that kind of persistence in any trip i've been on that way and i think in the beginning of our wild and exposed podcast we'd always talked about the minimum ideally if if i we certainly understand that it's not always possible for many people but a trip should be at least 10 days long to go, work through weather to work through behaviors because don you're 100 percent right you observe amazing behaviors happening in light that doesn't work for photography for whatever reason or too far away just didn't pan out but by having the privilege and flexibility to to be in the field for an extended period of time greatly increases those chances as well which is why after two days of being home i'm ready to go again please <laughs> <laughs> and i guess that you know when i think about you know some of the really really impactful and the really memorable experiences I've had over the course of the year. This has been a really good year for weasels for, for whatever reason. But the, there was you know, a couple of different experiences of weasels, but the, the one that really stands out was that I was um, out with a client and we were up on the tundra and I was helping him photograph pikas. So I was watching where pikas were coming from and I didn't have my camera with me. And now I was kind of watch where the pikas were coming and going and I was like all right well this one's coming this way and this one's going to move this way no oh, that one's using this rock so you know focus on that rock and you'll catch a, a photo of you know with a, with a cache of food in its mouth and out of the corner of my eye I caught this weasel coming running up the side I mean five feet from me and it's and like I said I didn't have my camera with me and I'm like you have a weasel coming right at you and this weasel he runs right at at this photographer and he just kind of stands right up in front of him and I'm sitting there and I am so thrilled for him. And on the same, same moment, I'm like, oh, you know, it just, it doesn't happen. And we, because we were working the pikas in that location, we had positioned ourselves in the right light and it was, there was no wind. I mean, everything was just right. And, and I guess that's part of the reason why the weasel was out there was that, you know, he could, you know, with no wind, he could smell, smell the pikas out there. And so thankfully we didn't see him catch any pikas, but he was, he was out there for a good 10, 15 minutes running around us and, 
didn't seem to be too concerned about us being there. And, but those are still memorable moments. It's not always about capturing the photo. It's, you know, I, I'm sure we all have experiences where we've just been out there and it's, we see something and we don't have a camera with us or we're not ready to capture the photograph or, you know, for whatever reason, whatever the scenario might be, but that was one of them. And another one, the more recent one that really sticks out in my brain is that I was, I recently had a wolf walk across the road right in front of our vehicle and it was dark. It was probably hour and a half after sunset. So, you know, it, it walked right in front of us and came right up along the side of the road and was, was rubbing. I, I you know, he was kind of set, he seemed to be scent marking some logs and then he stopped and howled and just to be that close to a wolf and hear it howl and, but same thing, it was dark at night, but just like you said, Mark, if I had, I was only there for one day, if I had a week to spend there, I probably could have gone back to that location a few times and kind of said, all right, well, I know he was here or she was here and will he be back? Is there something I can look to see if, if maybe I can do a little tracking and, and, and find signs that maybe they're still in the area who was he calling to it's you know but without that time i didn't have that opportunity but man was that an experience to to hear that how that close and it was you know just you know i, I hate to sound cliche it was so ear piercing but it, and it but it was very very memorable um no photo you know nothing really to document it but you know it's not always about taking the photo it's not always about capturing it You'll probably always be able to hear that howl. Yeah. And it was surprisingly, it wasn't very, you know, you, you think of howls that you hear in movies and different things and it, it was nothing to it. It almost sounded very sad. There was a sadness mm. to it. It was interesting. It had a slightly different sound to it. Um, and that makes it even that much more memorable. But there are, yeah, between that and the weasel experience, I, you know, those are the two things that kind of stick out in my brain this year. I've had two other opportunities to photograph weasels this year, both of them. Um, one was completely white coat already in a kind of a burned out area. So it was really easy to spot it and to photograph it, which isn't always the case with weasels. And, but that guy moved really fast and didn't stay around long. And then I had another opportunity early this year of a weasel changing his coat. So in the middle, but on a snowy landscape. And that was really cool. So I, you know, I was really happy with some photos that I got that, like I said, it was just kind of this odd weasel year, but, but the wolf, wolf howl would probably top out that list. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, it's funny. I can, I can still remember the first time I heard a wild wolf howl, you know, in the wild and it was in Yellowstone. So, but you know, to actually hear it, it's, you know, in my first experience, it actually included, um, not just one wolf, but it was a whole pack that started to kind of go off and, uh, Pretty, pretty hard to forget those kinds of experiences. If you haven't had that experience, you know, if you can, you can make it there to have that experience, it's worth it. Definitely. And a, I've had that experience up in Yellowstone too, where I've had, you know, a pack of wolves or they're talking. I've had a situation where a, a juvenile or a yearling was actually, or a sub-adult, I guess, was actually across a river on a hill calling to the parents on the other side. So I've had situations like that, but never this close, never... Yeah. You know, more of a, you know, not quite often the distance, but, but just more of a, you hear the communication, right. but to have it. So, I mean, this was, it, I probably, I probably won't even get into how close it was because, <laughs> but it was, you know, we were in our vehicle, so it wasn't anything like that, but it was 
yeah, it was just this, and like I said, there was a somberness to it. There was a different sound to it versus the communication that I've heard in the past, right. but in a more distant, distant perspective. Huh. But that's the amazing stuff that's out there that, you know, it's, you do, you have to give yourself some time to do it and take advantage of the opportunities when they come along to be out there. Some of the things that NAMP has been been pretty excited about this year is that we were able to, to return to in-person regional events. Our first one was in Badlands National Park, which was back in May. I met up with a, with a group up there for a couple of the days. The first couple of days, we had this amazing sunrise the first full day. We've also um, finished up a Smokies, a, an event out in Smoky Mountain National Park out in the East Coast. And that had so much interest in it that we actually added a third leader. We don't always do that. We usually just have two leaders. But I think people were so excited about getting back out and, and enjoying the fall colors again um, with a group of people versus just being by themselves. Um, we also had a group out in Grand Teton. We've had Bosque del Apache down in New Mexico for birds. We've had um, bird photography out in Central Valley, California, and every single one of them sold out this year. They've just been um, super popular. And, and like I said, I, I feel like a broken record, but people are just, they are eager to get out there and, and, and be out there with people again. We did also welcome four new members to our board of directors. We um, welcomed Amanda Joy Mason, Hank Erdman, Kobe Cooper, and JP Lawrence, who all have very diverse background that I'm really looking forward to. They've been phenomenal bringing a lot of experience a lot of unique perspectives to our board of directors we've also continued a lot of the networking we've continued to provide a lot of webinars we maintained our membership numbers i think that in itself is amazing considering everything going on with covid and just a lot of changes in our world these days so we're pretty excited about that we obviously are continuing the nature photographer podcast we're still here we'll be here next year we've got a, a pretty good lineup for next year that i'm working on and the the other the probably the biggest thing this year was that we had our biannual summit which is normally an in-person event every other year in different locations around the country this year we com we converted it to a completely virtual event that was the first time we had ever done that. Obviously, because of travel restrictions, we weren't sure what was going to happen with traveling earlier this year. So we decided to make it a completely virtual event and actually went off without a hitch. And I think it sounded like people were pretty, pretty happy with the content that was delivered. And as a result of the popularity of that, we're actually going to do another one next year. We don't normally have a summit event every year. So next year's is going to be a one day event. It's on March 5th. We've already started promoting that. So definitely mark March 5th off on your calendars for our next virtual uh, kind of a mini summit. And then in 2023, we have our next in-person summit. That'll be in Tucson, Arizona. And that'll be the first first week of May in 2023. So that'll be, that'll be the next big summit. And what's kind of crazy is because of COVID, our last one was in 2019. So it'll be four years since we've had a big in-person gathering. Um, it's kind of crazy to think how much that's all changed. We still have lots of webinars coming up. We have a lot of more regional events scheduled for next year. One in particular that I'm pretty excited about is one that's being done up in the Beartooth Mountains of Montana. And we're actually going to do, it's a bees and butterflies type of event, which is something very different. A lot of times we go to these big, you know, like a Grand Teton or a, a Bosque in these places that the people are pretty familiar with. So the Beartooth event will be a little bit different. And I think that'll have some unique experiences. And we also have an Outer Banks program in North Carolina in April. 
and that's to photograph black bear shorebirds in coastal landscapes so something a little different there what else do we have going on we have we're getting ready to launch a new website that should be finished up by either by the end of this year or early early 2022 uh, that'll allow us to have a much more modern structured website it'll be a lot, lot easier to use with a lot of new features we'll have a member member portfolio section we'll talk about conservation projects that people are working on there's just a lot of other new tools out there and we're also converting our expressions magazine which has been the publication that we use to promote and highlight the winners of our showcase photo competition each year that's in historically that's been a print magazine well we're actually converting that to a digital publication as well next year so that that will allow us to not only have what would be considered kind of a traditional look printed piece in a digital format but we'll also have audio recordings from the judges about the top 24 photographs we'll have some videos about some of the photographs that are in there and a lot of, there's just going to be a lot of educational value around that and then there's our nature photography day that's june 15th so i would recommend people put that on their calendars we usually have a photo contest around that um, along with some other other different opportunities for people to get involved and share their their photos of the outdoors so we've got a pretty busy year coming up next year i'm pretty excited about it and you know with all things considering in our world i'm really happy to see that nampa is doing well and that we have a lot of great great programs and benefits for for our members so it'll it should be a pretty busy year what do you guys have planned for next year anything at this point sounds like it we have a lot in the works and we're gonna we're going to announce most of it on an upcoming podcast with wild and exposed, but uh, looking to do a lot of a lot more educational type content. And I think that that will uh, kind of propel our, our listenership, hopefully do some uh, get togethers with our listeners as well, just in different locations. You know, if we're going to be somewhere, we'll just announce it. And then, uh, if anybody is there, we'd, we'd love to get together and shoot with as many people as possible. Not a workshop. We're just shooting together, getting together, visiting, that kind of thing. So I think a uh, trip to Svalbard sounds like a great idea for a big group. <laughs> I agree, especially if somebody would pay for it for me. Svalbard, Iceland, <laughs> Antarctica. The the last opportunity I had for, for Svalbard was right when, when they started to announce potential travel restrictions uh for covid in 2019 in 20 yeah was that 2020 I remember you or 2019 that. yeah and i had a trip for three thousand dollars and i was i was all over that and then of course they shut the whole island down for a year so it uh it wouldn't have been a great time to travel but I would have done it. Mark so. or Jason, anything else that you guys have planned coming up? I think, you know, COVID has shaken us in so many ways and, and just either stalled things out or given new perspectives or ambitions. It's changed the industry. Uh, some components of the photography industry have, as with many industries, suffered. And I think now is more than ever a time of diversification and and um, thinking of new ways to market and and new places to market to and that's one of my biggest 
current and upcoming year challenges as a professional is to want to maintain um, this this amazing lifestyle that professional wildlife or nature photographers have the privilege of of living conservation photographers and how to best serve that and I think that my age uh, also reflects on that um, I still want to feel young totally but it's it's a time where I'd like to I you know I'm all every image that is purchased published uh, printed on whatever for people or for commercial clients I am always grateful for and I know that you know that's that's common in, in our profession it only makes sense but it's um, where am I going with this it's it's a time where there's there's it's there's more squeezes and more changes going on the traditional formats as you just alluded to Don with with the publication going digital and many publications are going digital not all but it's certainly been a, a a fairly common practice and that is different I mean some of them change their publication when they go digital some of them change how they work with artists when they go digital and some do not some keep it the same there's all and but that's still just a small portion of the world of photography as listeners would know from all the diversity of guests that you've had on with the Nampa with the Nampa program but it's a matter of a time there's been there's my age is part of it, but it's more the COVID thing as well and how the industry has been shifting. There are opportunities that are, that are emerging and I think it's smart as a marketer and as a professional to be observant of these and, and thinking ahead of the game and, and trying to get some new projects going. So in, in summary, I have new projects that I'm, I'm initiating and trying to get going. But uh, it's a time. It's and as with anything that you know we embark on, it's exciting. But who knows, right? Whether they'll germinate into something productive or not. And you know, the next year, I'm I'm hoping there'll be a lot of momentum with so much in life because you know there's reason to celebrate where we can get out and once again socialize. You know, hopefully with all those that we care about and our friends and our loved ones and our colleagues. And, and share these these things and, and get moving and move forward with with production and, and work, whether it's conservation photography or whatever the purpose might be. And I, I would like to personally move in, in the direction of, of having work. Um, I guess that's what I was alluding to a moment ago. I mean, I'm grateful for all the publication stuff. Always am. My, my heart's tied to that. But also to to be able to do something more meaningful than, than having just an image printed. Uh, what other applications can they be put forward to? Or can my experience and knowledge be applied to that would benefit something greater? Whether it's um, a combination of an entertainment slash education component. You know, anyway. There are, there are things that I'm trying to work on to broaden out. And I know just through the guests that we've had on Wild and Exposed and through Nampa, it's, it's a common template now for photographers to be as diverse as possible. And there are many different ways to generate revenue. None of them are necessarily easy, as everybody knows. Uh, but, you know, it's worth, worth approaching. I would agree with you, Mark. 
Yeah, that's something I've been looking at. You know, at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, you know, a lot of people will, will make those resolution lists. Um, you know, and for the last month or so, I've actually, even just personally, I've been working on a list of, you know, kind of, kind of taking a look at 2022 as a reset year. You know, football teams do it all the time. You know, they, they say, you know what, we've, we won the Super Bowl. We just had a bunch of people retire and now we've got new players and we have to kind of rebuild. And that's kind of what, you know, in some ways I'm looking at my own business of the same way of, you know, learning new things and learning new techniques. And just like, like you said, Mark, you know, what are, what's the next stage? What's the next application of photography or video or, or digital content, multimedia content? It's, um, you know, so I, I myself even have that list of, you know, doing a lot of reading, watching a lot of videos, you maybe taking some classes, um, you know, those, those are the types of things that I'm looking at for, for 2022 of saying, all right, what, what's this going to look like? What's the field going to look like in the next five years, let's say, and, and how do I prepare myself to be ready for that? You know, it's, there's, it's more of a global marketplace than it ever has been. You know, what does that mean for us as photographers? Where, where does that go? What, what can we do with that? You know, there's always things we can do locally as well, but you know, what, what are the potentials? You know, trying to wrap one's head around that and project what what could be possible going forward is yep. something I'm enjoying the challenge of currently. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a not an easy industry, but I think for especially for enthusiast photographers, I think there are a lot of opportunities to really get out there and and learn new things and try new things and experience new things. So hopefully that'll continue for people. Speaking of uh, multimedia, are you guys also only using a smartphone now like me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But man, when's it's that coming? amazing what they do. What, how many more years until, until they're able to, you know, uh, obviously not for giant screen situations, but there's so much on the Internet that they can wrap up in, in the palm of your hand. Storytelling. I mean, phenomenal tools. Oh, I thought you meant you just yeah, parted no. ways with your flip phone. Nokia. Nothing to knock on the company. I guess I shouldn't say brands. I had them for years, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's. I still. I, I've actually once in a while I put one of them in my camera bag, and so when I'm on a trip with friends, I like pull off. You know, we're chatting, and I'll say, "Oh, just a minute, I got a call," and I'll pull out the old phone. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just to see the response on people's faces, you know. It is amazing, though, with the, you know, they have all these attachments now where you can get, you know, special little lights for them and, you know, little tripods and you can set one up. I actually did that with a client this summer. I, I said, give me your phone. And I brought this, uh, like a little tiny little tripod that just had an attachment just to hold the phone on it. And we were out there for sunrise and she's like, what are you doing with my phone? I said, here, give me a second. And I set it up on the tripod and I put it on. She didn't even realize it could do a, a time lapse. And I said, here, we'll, we'll catch the sunrise for you. And she was like, that is so cool. You know, it's just, it, it is amazing how simple it, they've, the phones have made it or the companies have made it through the phone, I guess. The yeah, the tools for visual storytelling, you know, whether it's our, our high-end mirrorless cameras or the red cinema cameras or whatever it might be, but these phones or um, action cameras, there's just so many, so many tools now, which makes this time in photography, albeit more challenging, but also more exciting. 
and his skill yeah, sets. He, I mean, sorry, Don. Uh, you know, Ron's been going through this with his commercial work this year and learning video editing to couple with photography editing, becoming a a master of multiple skills because it's multimedia now. It only makes sense. You know, it's not not a trade secret going forward. The more multimedia friendly we are, the better it will be off, right? For storytelling, et cetera. So it's a challenging but fun time. I asked a communications professor that recently, you know, I mean, I have a communications degree and, and I, in some ways I feel like it's a very outdated degree. Um, but in other ways, I feel like it's given me a really good foundation to continue to keep building and understand that it does constantly change. But I sat in on a presentation given by a professor out of one of the universities here in Colorado. And after the presentation, I asked him, I said, what do you tell your students? How do you encourage them to to continue with a degree that is fading out as quickly as you teach them something. And he said, we have, just like you said, Mark, we have to teach them everything. They learn how to build websites. They learn how to do video. They learn how to do audio. They learn how to write. They learn how to take photographs. They have to learn all of it because it's all integrated together. And there is the future. Yeah. And that's, and I guess that's a big part of where Nampa is. It's, it's a big part of, of what we can provide as we can continue to, to look at new trends and opportunities, see what the companies are doing in regards to what kind of equipment they're, they're releasing. We can continue to have our members, you know, share webinars and share different um, presentations at some of our different events about how to use some of these equipment, some of the, the new equipment, as well as how to, when you take that content that you produce with it, what do you do with it then too? That's the amazing part, how much content's being produced. That kind of changes the learning landscape as well. I mean, you, Typically, when you were looking for a mentor, it would always be someone who'd been in the industry, been in the photography industry for quite some time. And now I almost see some of these younger photographers, young up and comers that are masters of everything, you know, when they come out of school or just by virtue of spending that time with uh, different forms of media. And there's there's a lot to be learned from them as well. So even though they haven't, you know, been in the photography world as long, that multimedia realm kind of makes me look for mentorship in, in different places. And I think that that's something to be recognized as well, you know, by an organization like Nampa. Where are we as far as, you know, being able to provide that mentorship in those areas? So I think on that note, you know, we've talked a lot about what we've did this year, what we've got coming up next year, you know, what the industry is going to be looking like in the next few years. And, you know, who only knows what, it, even just a year from now, you know, this time next year, what it's going to be, what, it, what it'll look like. I don't think in some ways we know, and then other ways we don't. So it's, it's an interesting time to be involved with this. It's, you know, it's certainly something that you know, has its challenges, but I think it has a lot of opportunities too. So I think on that note, I just, I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful new year. Stay safe out there. Thank you for supporting Nampa. If you're not involved with Nampa already, I highly encourage you to take a look at our website, which is nampa.org to learn a little bit more about what we do. I thank these guys so much for giving us the opportunity to produce this podcast, which was something new for us. So thank you. You know, and just Everybody have a wonderful holiday season, and I guess we will see you in 2022.